0: So we're in Philippians 1, verses 18b through 26. Let's give our attention to God's Word. It says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Grass withers, flowers fade away, the word of God stands forever. Let me pray for us before we look at it more tonight. Heavenly Father, we are, um, we have come here uh, no doubt for a, a myriad of reasons um, but what we need more than anything else, whether, even whether we realize it or not, is to hear from you. You are the creator of everything. You are God Almighty. And, and you speak. You reveal yourself to us. And so, Father, we pray that you would, you would do exactly that. Reveal yourself to us tonight by your word, through your word. So would you send your Holy Spirit to cause that to happen? And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So it came out, which is this is hard to believe, 31 years ago. But it's a classic, and I hope that you've seen it. It's the movie Back to the Future. Who's seen Back to the Future? Okay, most everybody, if not everybody. Good. So this illustration will work. Uh, if you haven't seen it, you need to check it out. It's a good one. It's your basic time travel concept. Uh, Main character is Marty McFly. And he, basically the idea is he accidentally leaves 1985. And he ends up in 1955 uh, when his parents are in high school. And it's actually before they have fallen in love. And the tension of the movie comes when Marty's mother who in nineteen fifty five is the same age as he is, meets him and falls basically is infatuated with him. Right, so that's her son, who she's now basically in love with. And so now he has significantly put his future in jeopardy. Make sense? Because if his mom is in love with him, though he doesn't know she doesn't know that's him, then she's not going to be interested in his dad and therefore, right, his whole existence is in trouble. And so really the, the the bulk of the movie is that, is that tension, that Marty has got to work really hard to secure his future. He knows what it's supposed to be, and now he's basically going insane trying to make it happen, and he's terrified of, of, the, consequ- of the potential consequences. Now that might seem like somewhat of a silly example, but I would be willing to bet that at least if you're like me, you can actually probably identify a fair amount with Marty McFly in Back to the Future. Because the future is something that we think about a lot. We, we worry about it. We worry how wrong it could go. We daydream about what we want it to look like. We're afraid of the unknown. And... We probably work. You probably work really hard to, to bring about the future that you want. And even if you're not a big worrier, I would be willing to bet that you probably don't find a lot of joy in the thought of the future. And so, if that's you, then I think God has something for you here in this passage that He wants you to see. This semester, we're studying through Philippians, book, uh, letter, really by Paul to this church in Philippi, to the Philippians. And it's a book or a letter that's filled with joy. Paul is writing this letter from prison. And he's really the theme, the main idea, the theme of his letter, I think you could say, is is joy. The joy that he has, that he wants to share with the Philippians, that he wants them and us to see. And so this week, or this semester, each week, we're basically looking at a theme of seeing real joy in the midst of real life. And tonight, Paul gives us some real insight into finding true joy in the future and what it holds. So I am going to look at that in three ways tonight. We're going to look at three things. First, we're going to look at joy for the uncertain future. Secondly, we'll look at joy in future living and then, thirdly, we'll look at joy in future dying. So, first, joy for the uncertain future. But, like we said, Paul is writing this from prison, and he's in prison, most likely in Rome, because of preaching the gospel. So, that's why he's in jail. And he's basically waiting for the verdict to come down. Is he going to, are they going to release him and he's going to live? Or is he going to be executed? That's the future that he's staring into. He doesn't know what's going to happen. So, can you imagine that situation? You're already in prison. This is no fun. Chained to a guard all day, all night, every day. And what you're staring down into into the future looking for is so am I going to get out and be free? Or am I going to be executed? And it's from that situation that Paul writes to these Philippians and speaking about his own situation, he says, essentially, I have great joy in the midst of this. How can that be? Well, we see it there in uh, verses 18 through 20. Paul basically says that he has, he has joy because he knows that God is going to cause this to turn out for his deliverance. And that God is not going to allow him to be faithless. He's not going to. God's not going to allow him to be ashamed at the end of his life. And you can tell what he means by ashamed because he goes on in the in the next few uh, the next few words to describe what it means, or rather, to describe what it does not mean. Right? He says, "I'm not going to be ash- I will be unashamed. I'm not going to be ashamed." Because Christ is going to be honored or magnified through my life or death. So basically, in other words, Paul's saying, look, I don't know everything that the future holds. I don't know if I'm going to live or if I'm going to die. But I do know this. God is going to work this out for my salvation and for His glory. Somehow. Whether I live or die, it's going to be okay for me, and it's going to honor God. Yeah, For all that he doesn't know about the future, he at least can look at the situation and say, I yeah, don't know if I'm going to live or die, but I know this. I'm going to be okay, ultimately speaking, and God's going to be honored. And he says that because of that, he can actually have great joy as he looks into that uncertain future. So much joy, in fact, that he says he looks forward to what's coming down the pike for him with eager expectation. The, uh, you know, sort of nerdy moment here, but the, uh, the Greek, the Greek word that we translate, eager expectation, it's really like three words that are sort of crammed together to make a new word. And it's the idea. It's, it's it's something about the head or neck, and it's like straining forward to watch. You know, it's it's the picture of, of you. You know, leaning your your head and your neck forward, like longing to see something that's coming. Maybe you can think about it like being on the edge of your seat in anticipation of what's coming. You're so excited because you're ready to see what what's it going to be. Paul says, "I am eagerly ex- expecting." How God's going to work this out? I can't wait to see what He's going to do. And remember, He's facing life or death. A classmate of mine in seminary, he was from Africa, and he told us this story uh, that had happened. uh, This was years before, even when we were in seminary. He said that his uh, he was a huge soccer fan, and his country won the World Cup that year. For whatever reason, he didn't get to watch the game but his friend had videotaped it, right? This is old school VHS videotaped the game. And so this is, again, I don't know when it was, but this is before at least any, you know, significant internet, before cell phones, stuff like that. So he didn't know anything about the game except that his team, his country had won. And his friend sent him the tape. And so he got to watch the tape you know, so he had, he didn't see the highlights on SportsCenter that morning. In other words, all he knows is we win in the end. And he said, "I sat there and I watched this game, and and in the ups and downs of the game, especially like his team was down, uh, I think fairly significantly at some point." He said, as my, as my gut just started to churn as I'm watching this game, like, oh, we're losing by, you know, what, two or three goals. How in the world? He said, I, you know, I finally had to remind myself, like, wait, wait, wait. We win this game. Like, I know that. And he said, then I could, then I could begin to sit and watch this game and actually enjoy it. When I would remind myself, I, I know how this comes out in the end. I don't know how it plays out but I'm going to watch it unfold and actually enjoy it because I know how it's going to come out, ultimately speaking. Look, that's not a perfect illustration, of course, but it's a little taste of what you see here that Paul is saying because of God's promises, because God promises to see him through to the end and he promises to use him for good in his kingdom to ultimately honor, bring honor to himself, That Paul can look into that uncertain future and say, I I don't know how it's going to play out, but I know how it comes out in the end. And because ultimately that's good, I can can find joy. And and you and I can too. Look, that means that, what does it mean for us? Look, if you're a believer, it means that you can actually begin to be relieved of your worry about the future. And not just be relieved of your worry about the future, but actually find some joy in it. Right, it's easy, you know, we said this in the beginning, it's easy to have a lot of anxiety about what the future holds. Right, talk, to, talk to one of our seniors uh, if, you're, if you don't believe me. Um, and we feel a lot of anxiety. We either feel like it's probably one of two things and maybe some of both. We either feel like we have to work really hard to control the future, Right, to make it come out the way we want it. And so we're just a slave to it. Because it's up to you. If I work hard enough, if I can you know, bear down enough, it'll come out like I want to. Or you realize you can't control the future and you're just terrified of it and paralyzed by it. And I think what God says here to us really speaks to both. It means that we're able to look into an uncertain future and say, look, I don't know how this is going to play out, but I do know that God is going to ultimately bring good for me and for him. And so maybe it means as you, as you maybe look into your, into your college career and you're afraid of, you don't know what your major is. You don't know what you want to be when you grow up, right? And as that begins to terrify you, right, th- this truth can come home and help, help relieve you of that. The God's ultimately going to work it out for good. Uh, as you look into the future and you worry, you know, what's it going to look like? What kind of job, which job should I take? Or am I going to have a job when I graduate? Or if you're worried, I, I, I planned on, you know, being date, dating somebody or being engaged by now and I'm not. And you're worried about that. Or maybe you're looking at your situation and, you're, and you don't know if your parents are going to stay together. And you're looking into that uncertain future. Or maybe you're looking into the future of a diagnosis about your health. And you don't know if you're going to ever get well again or feel right again. And as you look down into, into, the, into the uncertain future, because of what we see here, we can actually begin to have joy. Because you can know, I don't know how that's going to play out, but God's going to use it for good. He's going to see me through to the end, and somehow he's going to use it to his glory. So there's joy in an uncertain future. Secondly, what I want you to see tonight is basically joy in future living. Right, we said Paul doesn't know if he's going to live or die, and so he basically says... um, He basically says, look, I don't know if I'm going to live or if I'm going to die. And then in our passage, he basically flips back and forth between between talking about the two of those. And he sums it up with his thoughts in verse 21. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So basically, Paul says, look, I don't know if I'm going to live or die, but either way, it's going to be good. And if I live, Jesus. It's basically what he says. Our translation says, to live is Christ. And the Greek literally reads, uh, to live Christ. It's almost like you could imagine asking Paul, Paul, what are you all about? What is is life all about to you? And he looks at you and he says, Jesus. And you think, okay, so Paul's been to Sunday school once. Uh, He knows the right answer. What do you mean by that? What do you mean, Jesus? It's almost like he would say, look, Jesus is everything to me. Jesus is the person that loves me the most. He's the person that I love the most. Uh, What Jesus wants for me is what I want in life. Uh, Jesus is the way that I go about doing those things. Jesus is what motivates me to do those things. I see everything, I see all of life from that perspective. Right, you could imagine maybe uh, it's you know National Signing Day. You could imagine uh, asking a, a football coach, right, Division One or FBS, whatever it is, football coach. Finish the sentence for me. For you, life is what? Probably wouldn't be too shocking if they said football. Right? Wouldn't be too surprising. Football is probably his life. It's what he does. It's what he thinks about. It's what he wants to do. Um, it shapes his future. It's made him who he is. It, it's how he sees everything in life. And Paul's saying that for him, as he looks into the future and says, I don't know if I'm going to live or die, but if I live, what does that mean for me? It means Jesus. It means that that I I will see everything in my life through the lens of Jesus. He knows that he will use him if he lives. He'll use his life to advance his kingdom. You see in verse 22. He says, look, if I live, it will mean fruitful labor for me. You see that? And then in verse 24 and 25, he says, if he lives, he knows that he'll be working to minister to these Philippians and no doubt other people. Look, The, the, the point is this, that Paul looks at the prospect of living more on this earth. And to him, he looks at that through, through kingdom perspective, through kingdom glasses, if you were with us last week. Right? He puts on his kingdom glasses, and that's how he sees everything about life. That's how he looks into the future of living. And I want you to see this. Look, this is both. It's two things. This is a glorious truth that we embrace or that, that we believe. Right? That God is going to, if you're a believer and you're, gonna, and you're alive, God is going to use you in his kingdom. Yes, this is what we talked about last week. If you're like, that sounds familiar. So it's it's a glorious truth, and it's a, it's a call. It's something that we're, we're called to think about everything in our life from a kingdom perspective, if you're a follower of Christ. So as we look to the future and what our lives are going to be all about, what are our lives going to be worth? What you get to see is that you get to be a part of God changing the world. That's what it means for Paul. He says, that's how I see everything. That's what it means for us. So look, here's the application. Whatever it is you're called to do, wherever you're heading in life, you get to see the joy of understanding that in light of the kingdom. I'll give you an example from my life. I don't, this, maybe this won't be helpful, but it'll be good for me. Uh, example from my life. Uh, as I thought about this, for me, right, one of the things that I'm called to be now uh, is a dad. We've got three kids. And as I'm called, as I, as I think about the future, looking into the future of, all right, so I'm going to be a dad. That's a huge aspect of my life. And as I look into the future and what, what does this hold... I get to think about this. I get to and I'm called to think about this from a kingdom perspective. And so it really changes everything about how I think about heading into this and continuing down this adventure of parenthood. Right? It changes, it changes how I think about having kids. Just about what I'm doing with them. Right? I have this amazing opportunity to play a significantly influential role in shaping the lives of these members of God's kingdom, of these, of these human beings that are gonna that Lord willing, He's gonna use to change the world, to bring his kingdom. It changes, it changes what I want for them. Right? What do we typically want for our kids? Right? I think if we default thinking about it, I, you know, you want your kids to be normal, you want your kids to be. You can laugh. I want mine to be normal. I'm sorry. <laughs> you want your kids to be normal, well-adjusted, um, capable, successful, uh, not to embarrass you, right? Don't do bad stuff so that it, you know, hurts you and embarrasses us. And, and, and that's kind of it, right? Like, that's, I just want to kind of keep the train on the tracks, and I want them okay. But if I look at that if from a kingdom perspective, those things actually are really just superficial, now they're good, those are good things in and of themselves, sure. But from God's perspective, that's not enough. Those things will not save them. Those things won't ultimately those things won't amount to much. But if I look at if I look into the future from a kingdom perspective, what, what do I want for them? I want them to find life. And the only way they're going to find life is in Jesus. So it changes what I want for them. And it changes... It changes it changes my fears about the future. My fear about how bad I'm screwing them up. It actually begins to relieve me as I look into the future and I think, all I'm doing is, is messing these kids up. If I look at this... I get the privilege and the comfort of looking at this from a kingdom perspective. Right, so when I... When I blow it with my kids and I get way too frustrated and I yell at them about something that I shouldn't or I just, I just don't handle it right. Which happens way more than I want it to. It means that... It means, one thing it means is that I get to look at them and I get to repent. And I get to say I'm sorry. And I get to ask for their forgiveness for being a bad daddy. And it means that as I look into the future and I think, it means that I get to think that as far, far from that being just one more time that I helped destroy, contribute to the destruction of their little lives and souls. I actually get to look and know that somehow God is going to actually use this for good in his kingdom. And so maybe it was a time that they had repentance modeled to them. And so I don't have to be sick with worry as I look into living in the future. So what, was it, what does it look like for you? Whatever you're called to do. Right? If you're a believer and you're called, you're called to see it from a kingdom perspective. You're, you're at least called to be a college student. Do you see that? Can you put on your kingdom glasses and see that you get to put on your kingdom glasses and look at that and say, I don't know what the future holds, but God is going to use it for my good and his glory. And so it begins to relieve your fears of the future. Maybe it changes the way you look at your classmates. That they go from actually being people that, uh, they, that you just try to work hard to be better than, right? I just want to have better grades than them. It actually becomes, some, maybe it's opportunity, right? They're relationships that are ripe with opportunity for the gospel. Maybe it gives meaning to your academic integrity, right? Not cheating, when you see it from a kingdom perspective, maybe it's actually worth something. Maybe somehow it will magnify Jesus. And the same is true of, our, of your career, your marriage, whatever it is as you look into the future, as you begin to live that. All right, so you see that hopefully, you see that there's, there can be joy as you look into the future of living. So thirdly and finally and, and quickly, I want you to see that there, there can be joy in future dying Now, that might sound like a really strange point to make, right? Joy and future dying. Yay, come to RUF. But that's exactly what Paul says. Paul says, look, I don't know if I'm going to live. I don't know if I'm going to die. If I live, Jesus. And if I die, it's like he says, then really, Jesus. Now you might be wondering what Paul's getting at there in verse 22 and 23 when he says, which Which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. Right? Does he get? Is he? Is the decision somehow up to him? And the answer is no. Uh, He's basically saying, if it were up to me, if it were up to me, which would I choose? And he says, in some ways, it's hard to say. Because if I live, it means great things. If I die, it means great things. But he actually, he actually says, look, if it was totally up to me, it's a no-brainer. If it's just purely what I want, I would take death. Because death means that I get to be with Jesus. And look, keep in mind that the decision is not between... It's not... uh, Sorry, where did did it go? Um, It's between life... Right, the decision is not, all right, do I get to stay in prison and live or die? Right? The choice is between getting out of prison and being free... And dying, and Paul looks at that, and he says, "Well, this would be good for you and ministry for god 's kingdom. this would be good, death would be good because i 'd get to be with Jesus now, why does he say that there 's two reasons real quick, and the first one's sort of implicit from verse twenty. Uh, Paul knows that it would be good, part of the reason his death would be good would would be because of his certain circumstance, basically he would die a martyr. Right? He's in prison for the gospel and his death would display Jesus to the world. He would mirror Christ's death in a sense. Uh, it would be a testimony to the truth of the gospel that he believed it so sincerely, that the gospel so real that he's willing to die. But the second reason, which we're going to focus on for just a second, is in verse 23. He says, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Look, Paul knows that when he dies, and look, keep in mind that a lot of the time when Paul talks about death, he says fall asleep in a lot of his other letters and whatnot. But when he says, he says, if, if I die, that means I get to be with Jesus Immediately that when I close my eyes in death, I would open them and see Jesus. Look, you're a college student. Death is probably not something that you think about a lot. And I, and I get that. Um, certainly for some of you, it's probably been more of a reality than others. Sadly, if you've lost somebody close to you, um, you know, a loved one, a friend, uh, maybe you've had a, you know, significant health diagnosis that you face that. But by and large, death is probably not something that you've, that you think much about and so for just a minute as weird as it sounds I I want you to think about it I want you to think about it because look it's a reality right you're going I mean it sounds so strange you're going to die there's no chance you don't outside of Jesus coming back there's no chance that any one of us in this room doesn't die. Uh, a campus minister friend of mine several years ago, he had a girl in his group pass away, died. I can't remember the circumstance. But he told, uh, he told some of us, he said, you know, it reminded me that a, a part of my job, as strange as it sounds, is to prepare college students to die. And that really struck me. Because that's not something that I think about much, and it's probably not something that you think about much. So, look, like, I don't know how that lands with you, but I want you to think for just a second about the reality that you're going to die. And I want you to see that as scary as that might be, and look, there is death is unknown, and it is scary, that Paul says that you can find real joy even in the face of death. Because it means because death means being going from this life to being with Jesus. And so therefore we don't have to fear it. It's not something that we have to be afraid of. Right? It doesn't have to control us. Um, Now look, I think it's important to say, just to be clear the bible 's very clear that our our lives are not our own to take, okay if you lest you misunderstand if you uh, and, and hear me that way that uh, death might be my opportunity and i 'm going to take it right that 's not what we 're saying scripture doesn 't allow that, but it means that you get death death means that you get to be with jesus that it 's all it's all better. Right? Thought about like being engaged being engaged is awesome. We have we have some engaged people here, or at least one. Um, being engaged is great. It means awesome things, and it's so fun. But then but then your wedding day comes. Your wedding day comes, and, and you finally get the fullness of what you've been longing for. You get to be with them, the love of your life. And if your, if your faith is in Jesus, then you get to face death with joy. You get to face it with joy, knowing that when you close your eyes in death, in whatever that might look like, you will open them, and you will see Jesus. And that's good news. Let me end with this thought. How can you know that that's true? How can you know that you can face an uncertain future or that you can face life or that you can even face death with with joy? How can you know that you won't be ashamed in the end? And the answer, because I've been to Sunday school once, is Jesus. But what I want you to see is there's another passage in the New Testament that talks about, that puts joy, the concept of joy, joy, in the concept of, of being ashamed in very close proximity. Kind of like ours uh, here in Philippians. Hebrews 12, 2, it says this. kind of picks up in the middle of and says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God, at the right hand of the throne of God. So did you catch that? It says that Jesus went to the cross and He experienced real shame like no one else has ever experienced it. And He hated it. He despised the shame. But He endured it. He took it on Himself. And it's actually our shame. And the reason, why did He do that? Well, the passage tells us Because there was something that made it worth it. There was something that brought him such joy that he was willing to endure all that hateful shame. And what was that joy? That joy is you. The joy, what made Jesus look at the cross and say, yes, I'll do that, it's worth it is getting to be with you. So much so that He would take on all your shame and bear it. Because He loves you. And so look, if you're a believer, then I want you to hear that again. And I want you to rejoice. And if you're not a believer, then I want you to hear it. I want you to hear that Jesus offers Himself to you right now. And you you can take it. You can take him for free. I hope you take it. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth that you, goodness, you are everything. So that we might even have joy in life, in death, and everything in between. Because you're good. And you bring salvation. Father, we pray that you would help help us to understand that, help us to live that and be that. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.